everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today I'll be rejoined by Planet Thunder Productions' Jacob and Zachary Burns to discuss Christopher Nolan's The Film That Saved Cinema, Tenet. Jacob, <laughs> it's saved! <laughs> guys, cinema saved! Woo! Did you guys know it? Okay. We did it, guys. Thank God. I've only driven past like four theaters that look boarded up that used to be booming in the last three days. And it's very sad, but theater cinema is saved. Christopher Nolan did it. Welcoming to the table. We have Jacob Burns, Planet Thunder Productions, co-founder and writer and director of the time travel body horror film Shifter. Jacob, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. And then we're also joined by his brother, the other founder I should say one of one of the other founders of Planet Thunder Productions, Zachary Burns, also a producer on Shifter. Welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Hello, fellas. It's been a few months since we last had a, a good convo, specifically on a podcast. But uh, hey, it's so great to talk to you and see your faces via the Internet. You too, man. Right back at you. Yeah. It's been a weird uh, year. <laughs> it, it's been a weird year. We. We saw a lot of things on streaming. We, you know, we're at that point in Attack of the Clones where Yoda's like shaking his head and he's like, "Begun the co- the content wars have," and uh, we're we're in the, we're in the prologue, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot of crazy things happening in the world of film, and since we last uh, recorded this podcast together, we're not going to get into most of that today. But needless to say. Uh, Warner Brothers did some crazy stuff by announcing their entire 2021 slate was is going to be released the same day on HBO Max without consulting any of their partners, the filmmakers who made those movies. Uh, Disney just had a recent investor call that they promoted like a Comic-Con event where they announced over 50 projects that are coming to their streaming service, Disney+. And Christopher Nolan is out and about talking about Tenet while also trash talking Warner Brothers. It has been a wild, wild way to end 2020. I got to say. I'm, I'm exhausted <laughs> during you recap all of it. Like that's just, absolutely ugh, insane guys. That, and that's Too just, that, that's just, that's just the cliff notes. That's not even, that's not really everything that's happened. That's just the, in the last like month. <laughs> oh my God. In the last like, two weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness yeah yeah 2020 two weeks feels like a year feels like five years also simultaneously feels like two hours i i don't know time is time has been inverted guys <laughs> I, <laughs> back. yeah it, it you know it's it's highly appropriate you're right that uh tenant was re-released this year we're gonna get <laughs> We are going to get into Tenant. We're going to first talk about our spoiler-free reactions, talk a little bit about how we watched the film. This is a Christopher Nolan movie. It's a big event film. So talk a little about the expectations we had going into it, the experience watching the film, and then before giving our initial spoiler-free review, and then we'll be having a spoiler-tastic spoiler discussion about all things Tenet, because there's so much to talk about in the spoilers. And what will we be talking about? Some analysis and just kind of asking the question, well, how well did certain elements that we don't want to spoil in the spoiler-free section, how did those work? And lastly, before we jump into today's review, I did want to note that if you are listening to the show today and you're enjoying this conversation, the most important thing you can do to support everything we do at the Cinematic Schematic is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or Spotify and giving us a rating, a review, and a follow or a subscribe. So if you are listening, stop what you're doing. 
and go do that right now. Give us a five star. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. And if you want to be a super fan, what you can do is give us a review. You can even say nonsense in the review. Maybe like your, you can even type it, spell things backwards, much like they do in the movie Tenet. You can, you can, you can drop that in the review. As long as it says five stars, I don't really care what you put. So just go over, say what you want in the review section, five stars. Do it. All right, gentlemen, with all of that said, let's go ahead and jump into our spoiler-free review of Tenet. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. According to the IMDb synopsis, armed with one word, tenant, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Beyond real time. I probably should have read this before we hopped on the show, gentlemen. That doesn't, this, this actually, this synopsis makes about as much sense as the plot of this movie. Yeah, this, this is kind of a, a nonsense synopsis. Uh, <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't know how you write a synopsis for Tenet, but uh, I don't know if that was the way. (laughs) I can't decide if this synopsis is either meta in the sense that it's just trying to recreate the feeling I had watching this movie, or if it's just trying really hard to write a synopsis about a movie that doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) Maybe you need to read it backwards. Maybe that's... Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the secret. We need to invert it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the key. Well... Well, guys, before, you know, we actually get into our actual thoughts and reaction to the film, I did want to provide a little bit of context here because 2020 has been weird. And because of how weird 2020 has been, pandemic, theaters opening, closing, slates being moved around, it's created sort of a weird vibe and energy around Tenet that's actually no fault of the film itself. But like most films in 2020, Tenet did see several delays Uh, Of course, it was originally scheduled for a July 17th release before being initially pushed to July 31st before being finally pushed to August 26th internationally and then September 3rd in the U.S., where a pandemic was still ravaging our country, by the way. Oh, is it still going? It's still going now, but it was going, it was definitely going in September. (laughs) Great. Right, cool. I'm glad we're not through that yet. <laughs> wow, wow. Way, way to start the conversation off here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, listener, yeah, it's been a while, but it, and it finally arrived on home video on December 15th of 2020. For those of you out there who did not see the film in the theater. So first question I have to ask is Christopher Nolan obviously is one of the most powerful directors working today. Obviously, he directed The, the Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar. Batman Begins, Dunkirk a couple years ago. He's got a lot of clout and a lot of leverage. And he, through his ways, was able to twist Warner Brothers' arms to get the film released internationally 
but especially notable in the United States uh, where there was still an ongoing pandemic. So gentlemen, first question I may have for you is, and, and Zach, we can start with you. Are you a fan of Christopher Nolan films? Do, do you have any favorites? What are your general thoughts on the movies he makes? Uh, yeah, I'd say I'm a pretty big fan of Nolan. Um, I generally at least like uh, everything he's made. Um, I like some others more, you know, more than others. Um, but yeah, in general, I'd say I'm a good fan of him. Uh, obviously, The Dark Knight is incredible. Uh, uh, I really love The Prestige. Uh, which is a one one of his films that uh, I, for some reason doesn't get talked about as much as some of his others. That, uh, but I really love that one. Inception, obviously, is great. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'm a, a, a Nolan fan for sure. All right. And Jacob, uh, how about you? Thoughts on, on Chris Nolan as a director? Yeah, no, I, I'm very similar. Like, I think what what I love about him is he has somehow managed to uh i you know partly through the the specific specifically uh dark knight and the other batman movies um really just kind of build this this brand and it's kind of amazing that he's really the only director right now who gets to make movies on that scale that um are based on original ideas and um aren't based on some you know uh superhero property or a certain uh, sci-fi property that takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, he he is what you know whether you like the movies or not. Um, I think he should get mad props for just what he's been able to accomplish and 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 what he's doing. So yeah, I'm pretty similar. Like I I've generally liked um, all his movies so far. Um, um, I love you know from Memento is the first one I saw back in the day. Um, I think it's still um, holds up and is one of my favorites of his for sure. Um, I do kind of wish he'd go smaller again, do something really small like that. I think would be cool. Um, but yeah, Prestige is is great. Dark Knight, um, Inception. I really liked Interstellar. Um, I rewatched Dunkirk recently and thought I think I liked it better the second time around. Um, I, I definitely was- agreed. I agree. I, I like that movie much more the second time myself, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, in general, um, def- definitely a Nolan fan and definitely a fan of what he's 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 trying to accomplish, at least with, with what he's doing. Most definitely. I, I mean, of course, not to, to belabor the point, but I think I'm right, right in lockstep with you guys. Christopher Nolan, of course, I would say, in a lot of ways, is responsible for fostering a culture of cinephilia that maybe wasn't quite as prominent, at least for, I would say millennial men. So he's got that bend to it. But I, I just think like what he did with the Batman movies, like you were saying, Jacob, he basically was an indie director who got put on Batman begins and Batman begins just did. Okay. It wasn't like a a home run, but the Batman begins got him the dark Knight, which was a runaway success. And then the momentum just kept going from there because he got Inception. That was a big success. And and now he's able to, on the, like you said, this massive scale, tell the stories he wants to tell, which is in a, an increasingly risk-averse system that you know puts on tentpole films. It's it's pretty unique thing he's been able to accomplish. Yeah. So mad props to him there. And you know, so I would say I fall in that category. I I, I saw Batman Begins, and and when I saw The Dark Knight at the age of. 1617 I think I felt like my life had been changed I this this man understood cinema and he also understood things about superhero films uh, superheroes that I I liked at the time so I think that's a pretty common uh, narrative and 
and the impact has uh, on Hollywood and also Batman fans has been for better and for worse in some cases. But he really is, I would say, as far as like the, the American dream for filmmakers going from fundraising your own movie and shooting it on weekends to making $200 million plus blockbusters all in the course of about 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't think there's one film of his I, I don't like. So I just want to say, of course, Christopher Nolan, bias here. I really like him, love his films. I, every time he's got one coming out, I get pretty pumped. And when we think about Tenet, it really created a conundrum, I think, for a lot of people. Because imagine if Avengers Endgame had come out in the pandemic and <laughs> or was slated to come out during the pandemic. The question a lot of film fans had to ask themselves about Christopher Nolan is, am I willing to risk my life and potentially even the life of, of others to go see this movie? Which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think what's been interesting is it, it really, I think, divided audiences in a lot of ways, his, his, his uh, potential base, because there's a lot of folks who want to stay safer. There's a lot of people who say, I want to stay safe, but also I'm willing to take certain calculated risks. And there are certain people who just say, I don't care. So it's just, anyway, the conversation around this movie has been particularly interesting because Christopher Nolan pushed very hard to get this film released as planned. Even though it came out about a month and a half later, he still got what he wanted, which was a theatrical release. He got to play this film on big IMAX screens. And again, the the film has, uh, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I'd say a a very significant amount of the film, like more than 30 or 40 minutes, is actually shot on IMAX. And you can... Uh, actually, if you watch the film, uh, well, at least the version of the film I was watching on the 4K um, Ultra HD Blu-ray, the aspect ratio would change, so you could see exactly you know you know you exactly when they filmed it with the the larger uh, cameras. So it's just it, it kind of created a, a bit of a conundrum about is it worth the risk to go see this movie? And I don't know. Before we you know really get into the ins and outs of the of the film, I, I did want to get you guys' perspective. How did you feel uh, with this film still coming out during a pandemic? Do you think it was the right call? And again, I'm not asking you to like weigh in on politics or what people should or shouldn't do. I just wanted to know how you personally approached watching this movie. Uh, yeah, I think just this whole year, it's just so it's, 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 it's painful to think about because like, I, I can't imagine but Well, actually I can kind of imagine we made this movie called shifter and we <laughs> traveling all across the country uh going to film festivals showing you know getting to see this movie in theater with audiences like i was really really looking forward to that this year and then it just very uh we we got extremely lucky we got one basically big we had our world premiere at cinequest in march and literally that film festival that we were at was uh postponed halfway through they they stopped the festival yeah um, we we got our premiere and then like literally the next day they announced that they're shutting the festival down <laughs> yeah. um uh and so it was really painful and it just really really sucked you know to, to be frank to realize that oh uh that what i thought was going to be a cool year of traveling and meeting new people and showing my movie off turned into a mere year of me sitting on my couch watching tv and movies by myself i can't imagine what it has been like for the filmmakers on that scale and the people who made these huge movies that were supposed to come out. Uh, it, it was a really, really tough place. And I think without getting too much into politics, I think uh, as much as I love movie theaters, it's my happy place. It's my church. I really think they all should have been shut down and should probably still be shut down. Um, and I think lots of other things should also be shut down. So yeah. So the, the way I viewed it was 
uh, streamed it at home. Um, and um, yeah, I haven't been to a theater since. So I, I'm, I'm very mixed. It was just a really, really tough position to be in. Um, and also, I just know that obviously Christopher Nolan has been a huge um, advocate for the theatrical experience. And I consider myself also an advocate for the theatrical experience. Um, but just this year, just it just there's there's very few good answers and people were in a lot of tough spots. So, um, yeah, it's a very gray area, I think. Yeah. Again, not there's not really a good option. There are less there are bad options and there are slightly less bad options, you know, because because yeah. even the safe option is watching this movie on home video, which, you know, I and I watched this on a on a 4K disc, my first one movie to watch on a 4K uh, Ultra HD and it looked great, but it's yeah. it's not the same. It's just not the same. <laughs> you know, you don't have the sound, you don't have the big screen. And this is a movie yeah. about scale. So your 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 option is okay, I watch this in a form that is from the way you're describing it, I think we agree, what would be considered a lesser way to watch it. Certainly lesser than the way Christopher Nolan would have wanted audiences to see it. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody, any filmmaker makes events movies, it's uh, Christopher Nolan. Like those, those are made to be filmed, you know, watched on the biggest screen with the biggest, loudest sound with mm-hmm. an audience who's like reacting and uh, react, uh, interacting with, with the film. Um, and so, yeah, but most of the time watching it, I, I, I spent the time just going, oh, I really wish you could watch this in an IMAX theater or the Dolby theater or something like that. For sure. Uh, even though it, uh, I still was having fun, but it was definitely, um, yeah, I hope when once things get back to normal, maybe they'll do some, uh, they'll rescreen some of these movies. So maybe I'll get a chance to watch them. Definitely. Zach, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much, uh 100% in agreement with all that like uh honestly i think it's just yeah theaters just shouldn't be open right now uh movies shouldn't be releasing in theaters right now uh just me personally i haven't been to a movie theater uh since we screened shifter in march uh and uh i desperately miss it um movie theaters are where it's at uh you know see anything you can in a movie theater even if it's a movie you've seen a hundred thousand times like if you get the opportunity to see it in a theater and you never have before like it's a completely different experience than showing it uh on your tv so it's just ugh. i'm just guys i miss movies <laughs> it's a short way of saying we miss movie theaters so i have yeah. a confession to you guys to make mm-hmm. uh-oh Against literally every instinct and moral fiber in my body, I actually went and saw this movie in the theater. I felt awful. It was a very calculated decision. I went on a Wednesday at 1 p.m. I had a long weekend with my girlfriend. We had just had a trip in which we had quarantined before. Not going to get into the weeds of that. And we had a Flix Brew House that just opened here in Oklahoma City, something I've literally been personally begging for a good dining theater for like since I've lived here for like 11 years. And we took the risk. And I guess a question I've seen a lot of people asking is, is it worth the risk to see it? There was only one other person in the theater when I went and saw it. They followed all the safety precautions. We were wearing masks the whole time, except for when we were eating, which I still think is actually somewhat pretty risky. Uh, and it was fun and it was good. It was a lot. It's the only time I've been to the theater since uh, March, no, February. 
Only time I've been since that point. So I have not, and I have not advertised this because I'm like, I don't think people should be going to the theater. And I, I didn't even talk about the movie like on social media or anything. I was like, I'm just going to keep this to myself because I don't want to encourage people to go and do a thing. I'm kind of hypocritical. And even though the risk was very minimal, I still think at the end of the day, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's not easy answers and there's not even really great answers. I'm not going to lie. I don't want to go out and be dishonest. This is the, so I saw this movie the second time before we reviewed it on 4K Blu-ray. And yes, it looked very good on the big screen. There you go. But mm-hmm. but I don't think it was worth the risk. It's not as good on home video, but it is still very good depending on your setup. Now that we all everyone kind of understands, we all watched this. Uh, I'd seen it in theaters. Jacob and Zach have watched this at home. Let's actually talk about the film itself. Was it worth the wait? So Jacob, I'll start with you on this one. Um, yeah. Overall, yeah, I liked it. Um, I it has it, it's it's kind of a, an interesting amalgamation. It ha- kind of has all the strengths and weaknesses of Christopher Nolan kind of amped up. Um, I think all of his weaknesses are more obvious in this one than some of his others. But I also think his the strengths in it were. Um, up there with some of his best stuff. Um, and I think it just kind of has a little bit of all of it. So it's definitely a um, uh, overall, you know, like the main criticisms I've heard from people are saying how hard it is to follow and, and all that. I think I generally understood what was happening, but it's definitely very muddied and maybe the execution isn't as clear as it could be uh, I think kind of the, as far as like the the time inversion and like that aspect of it, that actually was like, I think I basically understood what was happening there. I think it's kind of the story around it that they chose to uh, execute this with makes it more difficult to kind of understand. It's really more the things outside of the, the time inversion that I think are kind of hard to keep up with. Um, but man, anytime the spectacle started and anytime it was just like, you'd see like a hint that some it's time inversion thing was going to happen. I was just like, oh snap, I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, and just all of those sequences I just thought were so cool. Um, very Christopher Nolan at his best. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So overall, I think I, I it's not, not necessarily top tier Christopher Nolan, um, um, but definitely, uh, if, if you're a Christopher Nolan fan, it's going to have the things you want. Well said, Zach. Ultimately. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's, it, it was, it was worth waiting for it because, you know, I, <laughs> I think anything is worth waiting if you're not putting yourself or others at risk, you know, all the controversy stuff about this movie is really a shame because it makes us have complicated feelings about this movie that have really have nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It makes it harder to just watch the movie for itself. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of convoluted and gets kind of crazy, but ultimately, man, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. So yeah, worth the wait. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there. I'm right there with you, Zach. I got to say, I saw it one time and felt guilty about it. So I feel like all my negative emotions about this film were like wrapped around that viewing. So this second viewing was actually extremely refreshing because I was actually, I just focused on the movie itself and I was watching it in my living room. 
And I was, I, it, it kind of having seen it once I knew there was actually, I had, I had so many questions after I finished this movie the first time, like, and I'm a, we, we at length talked about time travel movies earlier this year and how much we all love how weird and wonky is. And this is not technically time travel per se, but like there's some of the similar me- type mechanics here. And I have to say, this might be the most confusing convoluted Christopher Nolan movie and a, ma- a man who is really into really convoluted, confusing plot mechanics and story devices. But the second time, it, it was a lot easier for me to appreciate it, just the movie. And I know that, you know, I, I guess I didn't really catch it the way it was intended the first time. But the way the movie does this a few different times where they will explain this crazy, confusing, borderline nonsensical plot device or, or, or time inversion thing. They'll explain it. And then the the protagonist, because that's literally as he's credited, John David Washington is the protagonist asks a question about that doesn't make sense what about and they're like just don't don't think about it just you gotta feel it yeah (laughs) and that's i would say what separates a good sort of complexity to convoluted in a not great way that doesn't mean it's not fun because this movie is ridiculously fun i especially the second time i think i had even more fun because i wasn't trying to figure it out i just was trying to like go on the ride and you have enough understanding of how the ride works that you're not trying to figure it out as it goes yeah inception on the other hand i feel like is tiptoeing that line but i actually think inception we did a 10-year anniversary special um on on the podcast earlier this year i actually think inception pulls it off it's complex Mm -hmm. It's borderline too complex to the point where it's like nonsensically convoluted, but it doesn't quite, in my mind, it doesn't quite get there. I think the rules are very laid out. And by the time everyone wraps their head around the rules, that's when they start breaking the rules in really fun and interesting ways versus this movie. They like try to explain it to you. They're like, don't worry about it. And you just have to kind of go with it. So I really feel like more so than any other Nolan film, you're either going to be on board with this movie or you're not because it's, it, it really does get crazy and and wonky um and the other thing i would say is jacob to your point here's what i here's here's what i tweeted out earlier today i'm not i don't usually read tweets on uh on a review but it really (laughs) this movie is the most christopher nolan movie christopher nolan movie uh (laughs) it has everything and like you said it's everything to the max and because of that we get all the things we love about christopher nolan to the max like like okay so here's what i got crazy ambitious ideas that are realized through the rule of cool. So not only is the idea huge and big and, and, and like hard to wrap your head around the way he communicates it and executes it is super cool. The reverse car coming down the highway, super cool. You know, like uh, RPGs blowing up buildings in reverse time and your head doesn't know how to, that even works, but it looks awesome. And you're like, that's cool. Uh, you know, every suit that everyone's wearing in this movie, very cool. <laughs> spectacle like you've never dreamed of they there there are so many times in this movie where i watch it and in true christopher no one since i feel like i've seen something i've never seen before mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. today's day and age that is increasingly rare in a film yeah and there's a lot of it in this movie even like just the of course the premise of the the reverse time is already just something really unique that I don't feel like I've quite seen before, at least at the scale, but the way he builds on that concept and does just some crazy things that are just, you're just like, wow. In fact, 
like all other Christopher Nolan movies, I would say, at least for me personally, there are no less than five moments when I audibly say, wow, out loud. Uh, yep. There is a dry but charming sense of humor. Like, hey, I ordered that hot sauce over an hour ago. <laughs> like it's in passing it's really short and he's not really got a strong sense of, it's not a comedy but he just every once in a while I'll sprinkle a very like dry wit joke in there and it was yeah. it's just enough to check make me chuckle uh yeah. so those are those are most of the positives here's all the other things that we get that are very christopher nolan questionable editing that adds to the confusion something that actually stuck out to me a mo- lot more on the second time mm-hmm. borderline nonsensical exposition dumps Again, Inception, in my mind, is an example of how you do exposition dumps in a way that works well. Even though it's crazy and borderline nonsensical, it works. It works. This movie, there is at least three to four times where we have Robert Pattinson, Neil, dropping how stuff works and immediately, and and again, questions get asked and he's like, ah, don't worry about it. And you're just like, wait. (laughs) but I have to worry about it. If I'm going to watch this movie, (laughs) just go with it. Uh, an understanding or portrayal of women that feels right out of the, let's just say less enlightened nine eighties and nineties movies. Okay. Um, a sound mix that will absolutely force you to turn on your subtitles to understand the crazy exposition dumps. I saw people, okay, so when I saw, and just to compare and contrast, when I saw this in theaters, I actually didn't notice as much because you got the full surround sound. I don't have a surround setup or any sort of enhanced sound on my uh, in my current setup. I just have the TV speakers, which are all right. They're not bad. They're not great. Through TV speakers, though, no joke. I, I actually couldn't understand what they were saying because of the way it's mixed. So I, I did turn subtitles on, and I'm not a big, like, subtitles guy. So those are just a few of the things that, I experienced while watching this film. I think it's got it all for better and for worse. If you're a Christopher Nolan fan, if you like spy movies, if you like science fiction films, you are going to have so much fun with Tenet. But I'll also say if you, these are issues that you've noticed in other Nolan films that drive you crazy. And I know there are, there's some people out there like that. This movie is not going to do anything to fix those for you. Yeah. I definitely, if you're, if you're in this, probably this very small category of someone who's never seen a Christopher Nolan fan and doesn't know if they're a Christopher Nolan uh, fan or not, um, I think this is definitely not the movie for you to watch first. Um, yeah, don't start here. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, uh, advanced studies, if you will, uh, of Christopher Nolan. Um, just because, yeah, like, like I said, it's got it's got the best and the worst of what he is capable of. Hundred percent agreed, and it's it's almost like you have to understand how his movies generally work. It's almost like you have to understand the cinematic language of Christopher Nolan before you can appreciate things about this movie. So I think that's um, a great point that you you laid out there, Jacob. And Jacob, you also mentioned that not the best Christopher Nolan movie. Like, would you say like like is this middle of the pack for you? Is it on the lower end? Like, where would you where would you put it at? a great question probably probably somewhere in the middle um i think um like i said like i generally liked all of his movies so it's kind of hard to i don't really have a solid ranking for them necessarily but um um seems like i had a really good point oh yeah you were talking about like 
Inception, and I totally agree. I think it's kind of a more successful version of what this movie was trying to do um, as far as like the convoluted idea made easy for audiences to understand. I don't think this movie makes it easy for the audience to understand. Um, I, I think one thing that Inception did really well that this movie um, maybe could have used is, you know, Inception used like kind of this idea of like a heist movie to kind of really give it a really solid structure and like it made like the info dumps more uh uh palatable for audiences just because it was uh, we, we understand like heist movies that's part of the fun of heist movies is all the exposition dumps and all that type of stuff i feel like this movie didn't really have a clear end goal like i think inception really early we know what the end goal is i think with mm-hmm. this movie, we don't necessarily know what it is um until very late in the movie and and i think that's where a lot of the confusion comes from is there's a lot of work and convolution before we actually understand what their actual goal even is um which i think um yeah make just makes it that much more difficult to to keep up with so here's something i noticed and i will get more into this in the, the, the specifics and the spoilers there were a couple of really important things that I was extremely confused about in the last act of this movie when I walked out seeing it the first time. Mm. Makes perfect sense the second time. But here's what I'll say. Here's what I note. Here's I, I think again. It's I, I like how you point that out, Jacob. What, the, the heist movie. There's a certain like language to heist movies. I mean, most people have seen you know Ocean's Eleven or you know any number of heists. There's so many good heist movies out there. People have seen them. They understand sort of what goes into it. And there is, like you said, lots of exposition dumps in heist movies. And it's all about making them really engaging and entertaining. And, you know, also finding visual ways to communicate the heist, uh, as they're explaining it or, or explaining how they hope to do the thing. This movie, I think, is trying to do a similar thing for, but for spy movies, and the, it just doesn't. It, it just doesn't. It, yeah, spy movies are supposed to be complex, you know, especially if you're looking like a, like a a really big espionage film, maybe like a, a Tinker Tailor Soldier spy, and even to a, a lesser degree, the Bourne movies. I think this is what this is. This film, Tenet, is trying to be Christopher Nolan's spy movie. Uh, so if you look at Interstellar as his space movie. You look at Inception as his heist movie. You look at Dunkirk as his war movie. This is the, the spy movie, which I think is particularly notable because he's always been very, at least, you know, I think as he was becoming a big name, he talked, he's talked a lot about how much he loves the 007 movies. Yeah. And even though weirdly, for whatever reason, he hasn't been asked to direct one, or maybe he has, he has not accepted the, the gig for, again, for whatever reason, there's probably a lot of them. He's found ways to sort of, have those elements in a lot of his movies. Even if you look at the dark Knight rises, you think about that big, uh, plane high, uh, hijacking at, at the beginning of dark Knight rises. That feels very bond. There's a lot of the stuff you see in a lot of his movies. feels like they could easily be in a, a bond movie, but this one I think is the first one that is trying to do a spy movie head on. And on top of the spy movie though, he's got that cra- this crazy time inversion thing. That's never really super clear. So on top of trying to be a twisty spy movie, He's adding another layer of like, and you also need to understand this really crazy, complicated thing. And unlike a heist movie where exposition dumps are apart for the course and also the way he edits it and everything, it, it, it all people, it's easy to digest that information here. It just feels like they just vomited on you as they're moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, I just want to reiterate, I actually think this movie is crazy enjoyable and I really like it. But in terms of understanding like 
what's actually happening. It really did take the second time for me to like figure out what, it, what's the important thing to know. What are the important details? Oh, takes me back to the other point. The first time you were so overwhelmed with trying to understand the rules of, of the time inversion. I, there is a, a scene that I basically missed. I was watching it. It's not that I like walked out of the theater, but I actually was, I was trying to process the previous scene and there was some super important information that was in this one scene that really makes the ending make sense. So I walked out of the movie the first time thinking that ending doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Second time I was like, Oh, this is because I missed this conversation. Why did I miss this conversation? Probably because I was trying to process what had just happened and I couldn't even start to think about what was going on in the moment. So then when you get to the, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's just a lot to take in. Um, I know it's, that's a really long winded way of saying it, but I wouldn't say it's success from a plotting perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, one of the weaker points of this movie that, that we're all currently talking about is, you know, like all the action set pieces are incredible, but anytime that it, it slows down to characters just talking to each other. It doesn't actually really slow down. Those exposition dump scenes are edited really fast and all the characters are just throwing out a bunch of information and there's hardly a like a lull uh, in any scene in any part of this movie where it kind of slows down to let uh, the audience kind of take a breather. Um, because anytime it's not an action set piece, it's an exposition dump. Uh, of information that the characters are saying. And it's, and I think part of that is uh, <laughs> there's probably just way too much dialogue in the movie. Uh, and then the dialogue is all edited too quickly together um, to where like, there's not even a lull in a conversation. Uh, like as soon as someone is finished speaking, the next person immediately starts saying their line. Like they don't even have to stop to think about what they're talking about. Um, uh, and so like, I think part of that is what makes some of those uh, scenes hard to process just because it's so much information coming at you all at once. And then we're immediately into the next action scene, which has its own, you know, amount of visual uh, greatness being thrown at you. So it's just, I think all that kind of adds up to being a, a almost kind of an oppressive movie, but like, still like I liked it. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I came out like exhausted or anything uh, or, or whatever, but it's just, it's just a lot to take in and the movie never really lets up for a second. Yeah. It's like oppressive in the sense that it's, it's an oppressive amount of information you're supposed to digest in the time frame They want you to digest it. Uh, you know, it, again, it kind of reminds me of uh, it's like, you're trying to, to repair your car driving down a highway at 70 miles an hour, or uh, you're trying to build a plane as it takes off. You're just like, I, I can't do all these things at one time. I, I need to give me a second to just focus for like even just a minute. But uh, yeah. Mm. So I know it sounds like we're, I, I, this is a legit criticism. I think this is the biggest problem with the movie. And I think this is what sets it apart from being a great Christopher Nolan movie. I think it's great. It's a movie I, I personally like a lot. Uh, I think I, I can't wait to watch it a third time. No joke. Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. Like it has that going for it. We've, you know, Christopher Nolan movies. The thing I love about him is almost every time I finish one of his movies, I immediately want to turn around and watch it again. And I think the same is true for me here. Yeah. And I also, we haven't even mentioned the cast. I mean, John David Washington. Uh, I mean, we've got uh, Kenneth Branagh, Elizabeth Becky. Like this is uh, 
really Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson, so much fun. This is a great cast. It has something no one's really good about is just casting a plus talent. And I think the same is true here. And, you know, so again, I think there's, there's more the score, the score in this film is the first, I want to say it's the first non Hans Zimmer score that no one has done since I want to say the prestige. I'm pretty sure every film is dark Knight was uh, Zimmer. Dark Knight rises was Zimmer uh, inception was Zimmer interstellar. And hilariously, the reason Zimmer didn't do this one is because he was busy working on Dune, which got just got delayed like an entire year. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but so you know, get, getting a new uh, composer in there, I think was a was a big one. I really like the score. I don't know if it's my favorite like Nolan movie score, but I did find it. It's very impactful. It really helps. Like the, the, the it really creates that sense of urgency and the adrenaline rush. So there's yeah. so much to like about this movie. It it, it really is a well made piece of filmmaking, despite the fact that the actual like story and plotting and execution of it is kind of a mess. Yeah. I think it still adds up to an enjoyable experience. Um, Mm -hmm. You said like, I I felt the same. Like when it ended, I was like, I want to watch that again. Like I, you know, like I, and I'm glad to hear that since you have watched it twice, that was one of the things I actually talk to Zachary about is like I bet this movie works even better the second time around um mm-hmm. I bet it will each time you watch it you'll probably enjoy it more and more because like think you once you understand the rhythm and want understand where it's going I think that actually you know you know just like everybody else I don't like to know spoilers going into it stuff like that but I think this movie actually does um benefit from knowing where it's ending up and then the next time you watch it um I think it'll just be a totally different experience I assume um, yeah, I concur. I encourage. And in fact, I do encourage you guys, everyone listening. If you, if you, if you watch the movie one time and you enjoy it, watch it again, like seriously, watch it again. Like I, 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 in fact, I, I think you will get a lot more out of it the second time because you, again, you've already, again, you, like you said, you identified the rhythm, you've identified what are the things that actually matter. So it's easier to hone in on those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit in, in the spoiler section, but if we were going to give this movie a, a letter grade, uh, and again, it's sort of hard. There's things about this movie that are A++. There's certain things about this movie that are probably like a C- minus or a D. But if you were going to just say generally your thoughts or reaction, you're going to put a letter grade on Tenant. what letter grade would you give it? And we'll start with you, Zach. Uh, cool. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Uh... Yeah, no pressure. Um, uh, you know, I know we all just talked about all the things that are complicated and, and, and maybe don't fully work about this movie, but ultimately, like, judging the movie as a whole and how much fun I had, uh, I don't know. I'd probably say B. It was a good B. It was a lot of fun. Very solid B. That's good. I think that's yeah. fair. That's that's a very uh, respectable position to take, I think. Jacob? I'm a very respectable person, so. Eh, sometimes <laughs> I, I think i agree i think like overall i had a lot of fun i think well, once you kind of get on the movie's rhythm and kind of uh, uh stop trying to keep up with the exposition and just go for the ride i think uh um it ends up being a lot of fun but yeah i think obviously there's there's some weaknesses there that keep it from um necessarily being a, a great film uh, so I, I think I agree. I think I'd say B. Um, 
B, maybe B minus, but I'll I'll be uh, uh, on the more optimistic side. I'll say B. Yeah. All right. Well, we're all on the same page. That makes this really easy because I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a B minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not a huge distinguisher there, but I, I just it's you know it's it's a good movie, not a great movie. I still love the hell out of it though, even though like personally I enjoy it so much that I, I recognize the flaws. I accept it for what they are and I'm just going to enjoy it and I'm going to keep, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it several times, even though it's flawed and that's okay. Well then on that note, without further ado, let's go ahead and spoil Tenet. So if you haven't watched Tenet, don't go any further. So earlier this year, as I referenced a few moments ago, we talked about time travel movies. Would you guys consider Tenet a time travel film? Why or why not? Ultimately, I think I would say yes, it's a time travel film. It has a lot of... It's definitely a twist on time travel. Um, And it... um, But there's still a lot of time travel movie-esque things that happen. Um, um, uh, yeah, we're in the spoiler section. So, yep. uh, like, um, Elizabeth Debicki, her character seeing, you know, we she tells about the memory of seeing the girl jump off the, uh, the woman jump off the, the boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, then later realize, oh, she watched herself jump off the boat. Um, I think, you know, that's a very, very time travel movie thing to happen. Um, and there's a few instances of that throughout. Um, and so, and, and, and actually in some ways it kind of even reminded me of, of primer to a certain extent where kind of this idea of the, how far back you travel in time is based on how long you stay inside the machine basically. Um, and so it's kind of that sort of thing. It's actually just, instead of going into, I mean, I guess they do a machine to invert or whatever, um, but you know that as far back as they'll go, it's just as far back as they keep walking and not go back into the machine. <laughs> yeah, um, and keep living. So, um, it yeah, I think ultimately I would say it's a time travel movie. It's definitely a really interesting twist on it, and it's not your traditional time travel movie, but it does have some kind of those traditional tropes, which I think we thought was pretty cool. Zach, what do you think? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately I'd probably agree uh, that it it's it's a time travel film, but but it's just it's a very unique time travel film. So maybe maybe this is the birth of its own time <laughs> subgenre uh, uh, of of movies or something. Uh, if other people want to uh, take up this this mantle of very weird time travel movies, but but yeah, like Jacob was saying, there's a lot of elements. Uh, from you know classic elements that are used in time travel stories a lot like the woman jumping off the boat or you know when they we discover that uh he was fighting himself in the the fancy storage facility and stuff like that by the way did you guys did you guys even suspect that when you watched the first time i kind of did but it was like you kind of think it but you're like nah they're not going to go there so when they go there i was like oh crap they went there and that's super cool yeah, yeah. It, it it was one of those things that you know I think it's when uh, Robert Pattinson Pattinson is fighting the guy and he kind of grabs his helmet and takes it off and then you kind of see him give this weird look but we don't but then we just kind of cut away and we leave it at that. Um, I think that's kind of your hint that 
there's something weird going on there. And, and I, I can't say I immediately jumped to, he was, you know, fighting a future version of, of them. Uh, but as soon as they, uh, as soon as they inverted and said that they were going backwards in time back to the storage facility, I was like, ah, they were fighting themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, but still it was, uh, it was super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty still haven't decided yet whether I actually think it's time travel or not. I mean, it is in the sense that the characters do actually go back in time in the movie. So I guess by that qualifier, yeah, time travel for sure. And it also, I think the other thing that sticks out to me is it's really interested in the themes of time travel. Well, I should be careful how I say that. The movie is curious about some of the themes. So I, I took some notes on some of the quotes uh, because I again, exposition dumps like crazy that don't actually, I don't know if they actually add up to as much as Christopher Nolan wanted them to, but we've got this, this idea. So Robert Pattinson's character, Neil is saying, whatever's happened, happened, which is an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world. And so there's this whole sort of debate. Again, it's not clear. It's only the second time that I kind of picked up on it where you've got the protagonist who is saying, He's not even saying that free will is a thing as much as he's saying, do we have free will? And Robert Pattinson, what I notice is he's always going back to, I don't actually know, but I believe in the mechanics of how I believe in what we're doing. I, I've, I have chosen to believe in the time travel logic of whatever's happened to happen because I think it's less risky. He even says a couple times, we can't leave anything up to chance. Which, of course, is him leading, leads to him self-sacrificing himself at the end of the film, where he, I, he doesn't, like, it's not 100% clear if he knows he's about to go to his death, but I, I, I'm pretty confident he had a good gut feeling about it when he went down there. Yeah. And it's kind of, so that, that's something that stuck out to me a lot more the second time, because, again, there's so much happening really, really quickly. You don't really get into this sort of, you don't really, the, the, I, the, the themes of, like, fate versus free will aren't super duper clear and the movie if you're actually looking at what the movie does i don't think it's actually as interested in exploring that either as much as it is sort of waxing poetic about it and sort of as like a, a bonus for time travel fans because <laughs> they do talk about it a few times um he also has that whole bit about the grandfather paradox which is a classic time travel question like hey if you could go back in time they literally say this in the movie if you could go back in time and kill your grandfather would that kill you and again the movie doesn't actually provide a concrete answer on it they they sort of go back and forth about whether are we living in a parallel world where the, it actually worked because even Robert Pattinson says we can't know the relationship between consciousness, our consciousness, and multiple realities. So it's all they're, they're constantly begging into question: Will this even work? And if it works, will we even know if it worked? And then at the end, it's again. I think this is all over the place and poorly executed in the movie. But there's this idea that the protagonist lays out there about Schrodinger's cat, which is another classic time travel. Well not time travel, but like an alternate realities paradox type of thing that's often caused by time travel. But the Schrodinger's cat for listeners out there who aren't super familiar with it, it's um, according to the Wikipedia. Uh, the, the, the idea is that you put a cat in a box 
and you drop like a like a firecracker in there and you're not sure if it goes off or not. So like in the event that you open the box, if the cat like is the cat dead or alive when it's in the box and like before you open it to see. Uh, and that the scenario is really all very hypothetical, gets into quantum mechanics type stuff. Uh, but according to Wikipedia, the scenario presents a hypothetical cat that may be simul- simultaneously both alive and dead uh, in a, a state that is known as quantum superposition uh, as a result of being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur. Now, I know I just that what I said just sounded kind of like nonsense, kind of like this movie. <laughs> but the, here's what the protagonist, he doesn't say Schrodinger's cat, but he is very much talking about the concept of Schrodinger's cat at the end of the movie when he's trying to bring it all into a bow. He says, we're the people saving the world from what might have occurred. We'll never know what could have happened. And no one cares about that bomb that didn't go off. Only the one that did. And again, I just want to reiterate, these are the kinds of ideas that as a time travel movie fan, I am super into. But also, I think this movie doesn't actually do much in the actual story with those ideas. As much as it's like the main character's talking about it. And then the way that the Schrodinger's cat thing comes up at the end of the movie, I'm like, is this supposed to be the takeaway? Because I don't really feel like the movie was really about that. Actually. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys have any, I know I just threw a bunch of stuff at you kind of like the movie. (laughs) Any thoughts on any of that nonsense? I just word vomited all over you. Nope. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the movie like kind of, tosses out a lot of ideas and stuff like that i don't think that's necessarily it's it's focus um or or it's end goal is to necessarily answer any of those ideas or 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 anything i think it's just kind of having fun kind of playing around in that arena um but yeah i think it's it's interesting like i think it's it's the question of whether it's a time travel film or not i think if you're a fan of time travel movies you're probably going to be interested in in time inversion uh uh and what this movie has to offer whether it's exactly that or not um um i don't know but i think um um yeah it definitely like it it, it whether it always expresses these ideas clearly and efficiently um it's still kind of fun to play in that arena i think yeah i agree um like yeah, and even though the film kind of brings up all these different potential paradoxes and and questioning how and why this time inversion stuff works, um, I think it is also like, I think it throws a lot of that stuff in there, partially to say that even the people in the movie don't know how this works. <laughs> uh, they don't fully understand it, you know, because ultimately uh, the people we're following uh, in the movie aren't the people who invented time inversion. Uh, Technically that happened in the future, even for them. Uh, And so they don't know how it works. They didn't invent it. Um, So I think there's just a lot of stuff that's very complicated and, and fun to think about with, you know, potential paradoxes or, or whatever um, that it's just kind of like, they don't know how it works, but they got to do something. So let's do this stuff, you know, (laughs) can't leave everything up to chance like neil says (laughs) well i don't know if you guys know this but um, i'm a big uh lost fan from back in the day and uh (laughs) (laughs) you caleb you you've seen lost (laughs) hard to believe i have seen the show lost and whatever happened happened is a a common theme with their time travel 
<laughs> Long time listeners go back and listen to our time travel episode. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I guess my question there though is, and again, I, I, as a person who likes all those things that they're, that are thrown there, even if they don't add up to anything substantial, I appreciate them. Cause it's fun to think about. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to keep bringing me back to rewatch it to try to figure out like what's going on. But I think Zach, you're right. I think they don't know what's going on. And I guess that the question I have to ask for you guys, do you think it's a bug or a feature? Like is, is Christopher Nolan overindulging? Like maybe he should have had another writer come through and be like, dude, what if you cut some of this and just focused a little on the essentials or didn't try to overcomplicate it? Or do you think it's a, so is it a bug where he could have tightened his script up or is it a feature where you're like, man, I love that he threw this stuff in here. I don't care that it doesn't make sense. I'm going to spend 20 years thinking about it and trying to make it all make sense in my head. I'll just say from my perspective, laying my cards out on the table, I probably land more on the feature, even though I think as a film, I think as an actual film, it's a huge problem. But as a person who loves thinking and talking about this stuff, it's a feature. So personal preference is that I like it, but I also totally think it's not good for the movie as a film. I don't think it's actually good for the movie. Yeah, I think it's. I, yeah, I, I think I agree. I think it's a feature. I think I like that stuff being in there for mm -hmm. sure. I think, you know, I think, you know, the this this particular script maybe could have used another draft or two to tighten things up and maybe make clear things up a little bit. Because, you know, even a lot of that philosophy stuff can actually help make sense of your crazy ideas in your movie. And it can help kind of provide some context. So I think, like, bringing all that in, I think, is 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 great. Uh, especially in a big budget movie like this that we're even talking about some of that stuff is really cool. Um, uh, but yeah, of course, like we've talked about over and over again, the script maybe could have used some, some tightening up <laughs> on some of that dialogue. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, overall, I think it's cool that it's that those kind of ideas are being expressed and, you know, even just, just thought about, I think it's cool. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like, uh, I think, you know, one of Nolan's weaknesses is he's pretty good at making clunky dialogue uh, in his movies. Um, <laughs> and that especially comes through in, in this movie with the way uh, some of his dialogue is presented to us. Um, but but I, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think including any of these uh, paradoxical ideas are, are bad for being in the movie. Uh, I think it makes sense generally to have them there. Uh, in a movie that deals with paradoxical stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think in this instance, for this specific stuff, I, I'd say it's a feature. All right. So I'm going to move on to some of like the spy movie parallels or discussion here. We already hit on a little bit in the spoiler-free section. But before we go there, I want to hone in on this time travel and plot structure thing. What are you guys... Whether it was okay. <laughs> Maybe this is a big ask. If you, what are like one or two things that confused you in this movie? So I will tell you the thing that threw me for a big loop that I, I walked out of this movie convinced that it was broken the first time I saw it. And it was that I could not understand for the life of me how Kenneth Branagh dies chronologically at what is before the beginning of the movie. I can't, I was like, this just doesn't make sense because... Um, 
because he, he comes back out chronologically. He comes in about halfway through the movie, like linearly again, try even trying to describe this as nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But chronologically speaking, like his death at the end of the movie happens before the events of the, the where the plot begins. So I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. He dies. Two, there were two scenes and, and one of them was like a really passing piece of dialogue that cleared it up for me that I caught the second time. And I'm wondering if you guys had a similar experience with any of the things in the movie there. Firstly, when Elizabeth Becky is, is sort of like telling us a little about her. I missed the part where she said, I saw the woman jumping off the boat. The thing I missed. And then he disappeared. So one, I didn't catch that. Because the other thing was that was made clear way at the end of the movie, there's uh, the scene where they're hatching their plan and they figure out the moment in time he wants to go back to to die was that day on that boat. What I didn't realize was that the uh, prime version of him, the version of him that's living in linear time, apparently also had left. So I didn't realize that he was replacing himself. I, 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 I was legitimately walked away saying, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. But both times, like it's, it's really in moments that are sandwiched between really big, spectacular moments. So that was sort of like, and, that, and I, I seriously was like, I know this has to make some more sense than I, I'm understanding because it, like, it feels broken to me. Good news is it made more sense the second time, but it also highlighted my problems. Like it really helped me understand what my problems with the movie were. So that's sort of my holy crap. This movie is confusing me moment. How about you guys? <laughs> I, I think I picked up on that. I don't think that that mm -hmm. point uh, confused me. I just, I would like to make one point about that particular scene uh, that Kenneth Branagh's death in that movie. Um, man, when he falls off that boat, Dude. that was, Oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't enough that she shot him in the chest when he, he hits his head going down. Holy cow. Oh man. That was that was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> when he hit that railing on the way down. It was intense. Well it's like interesting for Christopher Nolan, like as much action and stuff as in his movies, his movies are actually pretty tame as far as like gore and like they're pretty bloodless for the most part. But so that just felt like super shocking just because i just i didn't feel like he hadn't really done anything that, that brutal before. Yeah, i'm sure there's yeah but that it just was like oh that literally just like like i didn't i didn't like that character i was like yeah he probably needs to die but man <laughs> they they killed him uh, and, then, and then they just drag his body from the back of the boat it's hilarious i i think for me where i tended to get more confused or lost was actually not the time inversion stuff um, it was more to do with, wait, who are these characters? Why are we talking to this person? <laughs> like, um, uh, wait, what is he looking for? What is he trying to find? Like, I think mm -hmm. I got more, uh, the convolutions were more confusing on that aspect of it. I think at, at, at first I was definitely lost. It's like, wait, what is he even, you know, he's tr he's obviously trying to get information, but I don't fully understand what he's trying to get and what he's looking for um and then like a lot of characters pop up and i kind of struggled with like wait what who is this person what's their relationship to this other person and uh um that that's really more where i got lost i think the the, the sci-fi aspect i think i generally kept up with and you know but that being said even as you were kind of talking through that last bit 
with uh, Kenneth Branagh's death, uh, thinking about it later and hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> using, uh, but yeah, like in the in the moment, I didn't feel like it. I was getting lost there. It was really more the other, the kind of the story surrounding the sci-fi stuff is where I where I generally got confused. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I totally get that. And I still think even the second time you, it, it, it cause it, it moves fast. You're like, all right, we need to do a, okay. Uh, we found this bullet. All right. Where was this bullet made? Okay. We need to go to this country to find the guy who sells this bullet and this thing. Oh wait, his, his lover wife is actually the person doing the thing. Oh, and she's saying we got to go over here to do this thing. And okay, okay. We're, okay we got to go to this airport. Uh, oh wait, Michael Caine, Michael Caine's here guys. My, he's here. I, oh, he's. Yeah. Oh wait, why is Michael Caine here? I, oh wait, oh, dinner's over. Okay, all right, now we're we're another dinner. We're in a second. Oh, now Elizabeth Debicki's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think kind of what made some of those aspects a little more complicated to follow was uh, John David's John David Washington's character didn't have like a boss telling him what he needed to do. Yeah, it was just kind of he just did stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of made some of those aspects uh, uh, on who who some of these characters were and why we were talking to them at all, like kind of made those a little more difficult because there wasn't someone in charge of John David Washington saying, go here to do this. Um, he was just kind of making up his his agenda as he went, which we kind of learned at the end that maybe he actually is the person in charge. Oh, maybe. Um and so I think that that was just another level of kind of convolution that just made it a little harder to to follow. No, I, I think that's a good point because it just seems, especially earlier in the film, it's like, okay, he's just doing things. We're not like 100% sure why. And I would actually argue that that's probably maybe the more deep-rooted problem with the film. And a lot of people have accused this of being kind of a colder film. I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that per se, but there does seem to be a certain lack of motivation. So if you look at interstellar, for example, another movie that I, when I, it ended, I was extremely confused about the ending of that movie as well. Uh, but that one, like the emotional core does pull through for you. Okay. We know that Matthew McConaughey wants to get back to his kids. Um, you watch inception. We know that, Cobb wants to get back to his kids. <laughs> so that's what's missing from Tenet is John David Washington needs to try to get back to his like kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, or even, even the prestige, we know that the characters, the reason the characters are doing what they, they are is because they want to be the best magician. Mm-hmm. This movie or, or Batman, Batman wants to honor, like live up to his parents' legacy by saving Gotham. I will say, yes, the protagonist's motivations are extremely, even the second time, I'd actually say still kind of, in the first part of the movie, it's kind of, yeah, it's unclear. I, I think that that's, that's pretty true. And then, yeah, to add the layer at the end, it's like, oh, actually, they do this thing. Oh, we're going to be meta. No, I'm the protagonist. I'm going to be the one that saves the world. And then the arms dealer ladies, or I don't even exactly know what, what her role actually is, but she has information and she's like, no, you're not actually the protagonist. You're not really calling the shots. You're just doing someone else's thing. Plot twist. No, you were wrong the whole time. I am the protagonist. You're actually working for me. You didn't know that. Did you? You're like, like it's, it it starts off as kind of a clever, like, Oh, they're being meta, but then they like subvert their own subversion at the end. It's like confusing and like, okay, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I keep, I know it sounds like we're down on this movie. I, 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 I still just can't articulate that. I can't wait yeah. to rewatch this again and love the hell out of it. Like it's not, it's, it's got problems, but it's so fun. Um, well, can we talk about the things we liked about it? Yeah, 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 yes. no, yeah go for it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, 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 okay. okay, okay. okay. So okay. what I've was- I've been wanting to talk about this ever since I saw it. All right, go He on. crashed a plane into a building. <laughs> a giant that plane. A real plane and a real building. They wow. actually filmed that. That is incredible. Amazing. <laughs> like only Christopher Nolan could do that, could have the power to do that, would have the audacity- <laughs> to do that, like it's insane. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm confident he must have actually put real gold bars there too, right? I mean, he's got that level of influence, yeah. apparently. Right, probably his personal collection. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the plane crash was great, and then when we see the whole plane crash again, but backwards was great. <sighs> so cool. Um, um and the, the hallway, crash. the hallway fight scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely one of those moments where it's like, I don't know how they filmed that because like you can you know like obviously like you can film a fight scene in reverse and then play it you know or you know play it one way and then reverse it in post or whatever but like the way the movements were happening like it really looked like one character was moving forward and the other person was moving back like the way they moved was backwards and um yeah i know i'd I'd be be curious to see if it was choreography or a mix of uh, VFX or just shooting it different ways or or what? But yeah, I was just like, I don't I don't know how you how you plan that. Um, and then uh, yeah, it, every time, anytime in the movie when you realize I realized some inversion sequence was about to happen, I just got so giddy and just got this big dumb grin on my face. <laughs> I knew we were in for a treat. The whole uh, backwards car chase, like um, um, God, or even I really like that scene when we first kind of see the inversion machine and they're he's we were we follow john david washington we get his side of the conversation forward talking to backwards inverted yes. kenneth brana and then we eventually follow kenneth brana through the machine and come out the other side and see then then see that same conversation from his side where john david washington is revert i mean it was just like oh that is cool that is such a cool yeah. idea and it's a cool um, execution, um, man, so many great set pieces and stuff. Um, and even the non inverted stuff. I love when Robert Pattinson and, uh, uh, the protagonist, uh, scale that building near the beginning of the movie. Like that was, yeah. Uh, is bungee jumpable even a word? I don't, I don't know, but we got to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I will say I love, Robert Pattinson in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He seemed like he was just having a blast yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, playing that character. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's where I just come back to. There's a lot of people, even like film critics who, who like say Christopher Nolan is humorless. And I'm like, he, no, no, he's got humor. It's just, it's not, he's not, he doesn't, he's not interested in making comedies, but he, he works these like really subtle, really dry jokes in there. And maybe it's just for a certain kind of person, but I mm-hmm. like, the scene, like the hot sauce joke, I, I lost it. The second time, it was fun. I don't know why the second time I laughed much harder. Um, there's also the scene where Robert Pattinson's holding those guys in the hostage in a corner. He's like, keep eating. And they're like, because they were eating their food when he walked in. He's like, and, you yeah, know. Like, I don't want to get cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, just, it's great. The uh, sequence whenever the, uh, 
at the storage unit thing goes off and the guy's like, you got 10 seconds, right? And the guy runs out. But then, like, at the end of the sequence, whenever they walk back into that room and lay down to pretend like they were knocked out by it right as the guys walk in. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, so, yeah. so funny. Like, he's, yeah. He's definitely not doing like snarkiness or like stuff like the Marvel movies or it's just not even just the Marvel movies. It's just really popular right now. It's kind of like every character is making quips constantly. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a more drier sense of humor, which is more where my sense of humor lies. Um, um, but yeah, like there's there's a lot of it sprinkled out. I actually thought this was one of his like not I wouldn't call it a comedy, but I thought he had a lot more humor kind of sprinkled throughout this one than some of his other movies. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, m- most definitely. And yeah, just again, the, the, the cast all around Kenneth Branagh is the bad guy, man. He is just yeah. chewing those scenes. He is, he is into it. And I, and it works. Like, it's not like comical. Like he is so into him. Like this guy is awful. And I love Kenneth Branagh, but I'm like, wow, yeah. you really are a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a real jerk in this movie. Uh, but no, I, I just want to, um, you know, without, you know, beating a dead horse, I think that highway scene played better. And that's another one. It played better the, the second time because the first time you don't know it's about to go down and going back to things that were like those weird, smaller plot things that didn't make a lot of sense. I, I genuinely was like, so for context, they were originally, they thought they were going in for plutonium and then they realized it's actually the other piece of the algorithm. I straight up was extremely confused about that whole thing. The first time, yeah. second time it's actually, it's brilliant. Like it, it, it like, it, I don't know the, the, the second half of the scene just plays out much more strongly when I realized that's what was going on and to see it play out both ways. Like, and not just that, yeah, the, 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 the scene with Ken and Braun on the room is amazing, but even seeing like having seen the movie one time where you've seen it both ways, the first time I you see them going down the highway, I was like very confused about why Kenneth. I you know he's doing the time inversion thing, but you don't really you don't have the whole picture. But like I was able to more clearly piece it together. So when I see Kenneth Branagh show up in reverse the second time, I was like, "Holy cow, this is way cooler than I gave it credit for the first time." Um, and even everything down to the detail where he he tries to blow up the car and it actually ices the car. That's just such a fun cool. Thing. I don't know if it's scientific science proof in any way, but it was really cool. And it works, yeah, and I hard. bought it. Yeah, yeah, so much, so much cool stuff throughout this movie. Yeah, um, I, I do think one of uh, Christopher Nolan's strategies on how he decides what movie to make next, I think he just sits down uh, uh, at at home and just asks himself, "What's the most logistically difficult?" thing i can think of to shoot uh and i'm gonna base a movie around just that concept uh and so for this one he was like people moving forwards and backwards all in like a live shot Uh, and what's what's the movie that makes that happen uh because dear lord that final like huge epic action scene at the end with like a hundred different extras some running forwards, some running backwards and explosions going on and people jumping around. Like I, I do not know how you even try to even begin to think about shooting something like that. that building like explodes like at the top and then it forms back and then it explodes at the bottom. Or something. Yeah. Like, is it happening? <laughs> no. Okay. So I'm glad we, I'm cool. glad you brought that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the final sequence because yeah. it is where you really have to just be bought into the, 
I have no idea what's going on, but it feels <laughs> awesome. Cause again, yeah. it, that part doesn't get less confusing the second time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I promise. Okay. So I just want to say on the whole, I'm going to say one more criticism, but I want to say, I still think the final set piece is one of the coolest things I've seen in a movie. And like, I'm never going to forget that I saw this and like, it's, it's, it, you feel like I've never seen anything like this before. It works so well. It's so cool. There's so many moving parts. It's visual, uh, visually dazzling. And like, I think Jacob, you said a few minutes ago, how did they do that? Another thing Christopher Nolan's really good at is like having moments that again are increasingly rare, which do you say, wow, how did they do that? Where you as filmmakers are not even sure how they do that. And you know, as avid film viewers, we kind of been jaded on like CG and everything, but it's like, I don't know how they pulled this off. That's just that alone, I think is really impressive. And I think the same, that, that, that whole, the whole last, you know, climactic set piece is a part of like moments of how did they reverse blow up the building? I don't know. Like, yeah. How, <laughs> how did they have these people running in reverse and forward at the same time with like, you said like a hundred, I don't know. That had to be a nightmare, but I'm really glad they figured out what it is, what to do. I will say though, Christopher Nolan has been crit criticized for his editing in the past. And honestly, not going to lie, not really been a problem for me personally in most of his movies. This one is the one where it got me though, especially in the final sequence, trying to watch it really closely. The way they cut back and forth between Robert Pattinson's POV and uh, the protagonist's POV in like rapid succession, it gets really hard to track. Like, I, for example, the first time, I did not realize that Robert Pattinson had stepped into a machine to reverse time. I was actually very confused by that final scene where it's the three of them. I was like, wait, I thought he was going in reverse. Total, I caught it this time, but the way it's edited, it is bona fide. Like, you don't, it, and it happens so fast, you're not really sure. It's almost like I don't know which POV I'm watching when I'm watching it. Um, and I again, I think I think the same can be said about a lot of parts of the movie, but that in particular, I was very confused by. So I say that to yeah. say, if you're actually trying to follow what's happening, like legitimately, I think it could have been done a little differently or at least edited a little differently. That said, the feeling of watching it is still freaking incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think that touches on something interesting for a lot of Christopher Nolan movies is like, he, there's a very specific Christopher Nolan feeling when you're watching mm -hmm. movies. And like, I, I think most of them do kind of suffer a lot of the criticisms that we've talked about. I think they're maybe maximized in this movie, but I think a lot of them uh, do have those weaknesses, but he somehow taps into some primal feeling in me and I'm sure many others where it's really more about the whole and not necessarily the specifics and in the details and whereas you know some directors are extremely detail oriented like david fincher or wes anderson or something like that uh but i don't think wes or um what's this guy's name christopher christopher nolan uh christopher nolan i don't get to get feel like gets too tangled up in like the details um of things and he's kind of looking at at it as a whole um mm -hmm. how it feels as a whole and so i think like his his films even with those weaknesses and i do I, I do agree like that last scene is kind of difficult um coherence wise <laughs> uh to follow um and yet it still just feels so cool and so that uh at, at least for me uh it, it works beyond its its weaknesses um um even though they are it obviously can point them out 
um, it's still, for some reason, it still just works. Um, and I, there's just enough there that I generally get what's going on. And um, um, yeah, just work. And I think that goes across most of his movies. I think there is a very specific Christopher Nolan feel that um, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think lots of movies have tried to capture that, uh, what he's done, uh, especially after Dark Knight. Um, everybody was trying to make a Christopher Nolan movie, but I don't think anybody has done it because I think just there's something about his movies that um, they just feel very singular and like they only could come from him and really no other movie feels like that, um, um, which is uh, interesting. Yeah, I think uh, speaking of his editing and how it has a very specific feel, this is something I've thought about before watching his movies uh, uh, that contributes to that is that like, I, I don't know if he's ever said this or if he actually approaches movies this way, but uh, I feel like almost like a lot of his movies are edited, edited together almost as one feature length montage mm-hmm. uh, and not so much a collection of scenes, yeah. but just one giant, put together montage of you know two hours yeah. uh uh which two I hours think, bro what no one movie are you watching two and a half two yeah, hours yeah, and 40 so hours two movies. and a half hours at least um uh but yeah like uh, i think that contributes to kind of that feel where yeah he's not super focused on the granular details he's very focused on the whole of the movie uh and so i feel like kind of that more montage approach to the movie on a grand scale uh at least that's the kind of feel it has for me um uh for his movies and i think that that kind of contributes to like you see that and you know exactly that that's a christopher nolan movie that you're watching yeah yeah that's a great point i think it's a really great way to to frame it and i i know i agree I think maybe if I was to sum it up and, and this is not, this is actually a, a compliment, not necessarily a, don't, don't take it as a jab. It's a compliment, but in some ways his films are greater than the sum of their parts. And it, you know, I mean, I, I would say specifically with the editing because yeah, obviously all, I don't want to say like his parts aren't great. He has an amazing cast and amazing visuals, but I'm just saying like, you're right though. Like there are a lot of like details that would, another director wouldn't let just pass by that he's not that concerned about but he's able to bring all these other elements together in such a way that you don't really care. You're not really, you're not too worried about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they even, he even verbalizes it at the beginning of this movie. Uh, uh, when, uh, the protagonist is first learning about time inversion, uh, when that character, uh, is saying, you know, don't, uh, don't try to explain it, just feel it. Um, And I, and I very much feel like that's exactly how Christopher Nolan wants you to watch every single one of his movies, not just this one. He wants you to just feel it. Don't think about it too hard. Just experience it. And yeah, and, uh, yeah just let the movie do what it's going to do. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I had a couple other questions, guys, but honestly, we've talked for a lot about this movie. So I'll just, I'll like, I'll end here. Is there anything else about Tenet? whether it's a spoiler, whether it's a final thought, anything else about Tenet you want to talk about today before we close out? He crashed a plane into a building. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to emphasize that he did that. 
That is not CGI. He crashed a plane into a building. <laughs> it's amazing. It's such a bizarre thing to say. Don't think about it too hard when you're talking about a Christopher Nolan movie, a man who consistently tells stories that are, I don't say forcing, but really challenging you to pay close attention to the details. This one in some ways is saying, nah, just roll with it. Don't, yeah. don't worry about the rules of the dream. Don't worry about all the flashbacks and the prestige. Uh, you know, don't worry about how much time has passed while Batman's been in a hole. You know, like it, like this one, like this one, he, he like, cause I feel like the others, like you do have to pay attention to that stuff. Whereas this one, it's just like, you know, this is such a big idea. Just roll with it. And you know what? I'm on board with it. Just roll with yeah. it. It's a great time. You won't regret your time watching it. You'll probably. And in fact, I think you should watch it again. I recommend it watching it, not just once, but twice, even though I find it's a flawed film. It's a great film. You're going to have a good time. Check it out. All right, gentlemen. Well, we have talked about a lot of things today. So I want to close out the show, of course, by giving uh, everyone a chance to hear exactly where can they keep up with you online. Uh, so Jacob Layton Burns, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Boom Dig It Down. Um, and also, if you're curious about any of my movies, you can find Shifter on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Vudu, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then Electric Nostalgia is on Amazon as well. Um, and then you can just follow our movies in general at planetthunderfilms.com and find us on all the various social medias. All righty. And I think it should be worth noting for the audience, if you liked, if you really liked Tenant, Shifter is a good one. They both involve time travel or time manipulation of sorts. Uh, Zach, how about you? Where can people keep up with you and your work online? Anybody who wants to keep up with me, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Left Eye Burns. And of course, you can follow me tweeting about all the things, including film, video games, television, all the things that are happening in our very strange 2020 year uh, at C Masters Talk on Twitter. That's letter C Masters Talk. You can also find The Cinematropolis on Twitter at The Cinematrop and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. And of course, or you could just head on over to the source, thecinematropolis.com. Later this week, we are going to be dropping an extra episode. Why? Because it's Christmas week and we've got all sorts of Christmas goodies. And there's actually a couple of different notable films coming out on Christmas Day, even though we can't go to theaters. So to start off, I am going to be doing a review that I'll be posting later this week of Pixar's Soul. And the following week, I'll be doing another roundtable review type discussion on Wonder Woman 1984. So again, a lot of big movies to talk about here in the next couple weeks. I can't wait to join you all in the conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll catch you again next time.